Welcome back, welcome back, welcome back, 511 fans. Yes, (laughs) it's Jay and D here with another Tuesday topic, and this one is going to be good. So here, of course, this is the 511 Chronicles. For those who don't know, hey, welcome. Um, For those who do, right? (laughs) For those who do, welcome back. And again, thanks for supporting us. Here at the 511 Chronicles, we discuss everything from politics to pop culture while representing 511 voices, detailing 511 experiences, and having 511 conversations. So again, this is the 511 Chronicles. Welcome back to another episode. All right. So as y'all, as I said, this is a Tuesday topic um, that might stick. It might not. Don't get attached to her. We don't know her quite yet. Um, she's just joining the group. So we'll see. Might be Tuesday topic, might turn into something else. But um, this week, we're actually doing something a little bit different. Um, and this is going to be an episode where we're really like highlighting a legend, where we're really going to talk about someone who's had an impact on us. I want it to be known that this is not going to be like the Black History Program mm-hmm. um, on, at, on, on Sundays during February <laughs> on, at the church. This is not the, the youth department putting on a production. Right. This is not a chronology. This is not an A to Z. What we're going to be talking about is, or, or who we're going to be talking about, is the legend herself, the queen of rock and roll, yes, Tina Turner. The icon, you know, the legend. Um, <laughs> yes. But we're going to be talking about Tina and the way that we're gonna do it is a little bit different because we are going to use the film What's Love Got to Do With It as a guide um, and where we're gonna pull a lot of inspiration from, but we're also going to pair that with the documentary that came out this year called Tina um, on HBO. So it's gonna be fun. We're gonna have a great conversation. Again, thank you so much for tuning in as we give flowers to the queen herself. This is another episode of the 511 Chronicles. Boom, in your area. So, I mean, what can can anybody say about Tina Turner? Like, she is, words, words just really can't, I don't think words yeah. can even give justice. Like, as growing up uh, millennials in the 90s and um, during the time that we have, and, you know, especially growing up in the, in the early 2000s, we've seen a lot of pop stars and rock stars and people who've made impact on music as performers because that was a pretty iconic period of time but mm-hmm. there has not been in my opinion I feel like there hasn't been really a more significant time in music um, in popular music than the 80s I yeah. feel like the 80s were a really really big time in music because we had really like the creation and the advent of hip-hop happening yeah. at this time rap was really like starting to pick up Rock was taking on a new era. I mean, Michael yep. Jackson's Thriller came out. We had Whitney being introduced yep. to the scene. Aretha's at her height. Yeah. I mean, you've got so many, especially in Black music, so many mm-hmm. big things happening in the 80s. It was a big 80s. shift for us, culture. It was a huge shift. Yeah. And an album that came out in 1985 that really changed the scene and changed the trajectory of this person's life was mm-hmm. what's love got to do with it. That yeah. album, and it was not the album. That was not the name of the album. Let me correct myself. The album was called Private Dancer. Um, what's love got to do with it was the lead single off of it and what l- would later be the name of the film um, mm-hmm. inspired by her life. So, you know, as, as kids who grew up in the 90s, we saw iconic performers. We saw, you know, Beyonce come to fame and Lady Gaga and Jay-Z and Eminem and all of these people who put on great shows, who do great things. We saw them come and rise but we did not get to witness anything of the magnitude of like right. a Tina Turner. You know, like right. we, like 
Beyonce is huge, and I don't want anything to be taken from this as like discrediting Beyonce and, and the, the, the Beyonce ness of it all. But um, it's like before her, there but was before, Tina. Exactly, and <laughs> she was, there we don't would have not first. We would not have had a yeah. a, a Beyonce without Tina Turner. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. she, like two of her biggest inspirations were the Clark sisters and Tina Turner, and she makes that very well known. So, <laughs> you know, for all the beehives, sit down. Um, have a seat before we smoke you out. Um, <laughs> but um, Tina Turner, the film about her life, uh, What's Love Got to Do With It, starred Angela Bassett. And I know I was not the only one. I, I'm a, I wonder, I, I'm sure Dee might not have been because Dee's a lot smarter. Um, but I thought Angela Bassett was Tina Turner for the longest until the wow. end of the I had no clue that she was an actress and, and that wow. she was not Tina playing Tina. Yeah, yeah, I was that naive at that age um <laughs> I really was and then also at that age I don't know if you can attest to this but you know like what's love got to do with it the film came out in 1993 so as we're growing up you know BET was definitely becoming huge doing their thing I felt like what's love got to do with it was one of those music films that was always on mm-hmm. TV like yeah. I feel like I could not escape what's love got to do with it the temptations the, Michael, Jackson, the Jackson Five and um um five baby heartbeat. boy, baby boy, the five heartbeats and the color purple. I feel like oh yeah, and the color purple. It was always a rotation between those movies. Every they Sunday, might every now and then throw in Eve's Bayou every now and right, then. Eve's Bayou or Beloved if they're right. feeling if they feeling extra woke in you know in the late nineties, early two thousands. So it was, I mean, like. It was one of those films that we just really could not escape as Black people. I don't know any Black person mm-hmm. from the 90s, early 2000s who has not seen What's Love Got to Do With It and who can't at least say eat the cake anime and know what's going on. Exactly. Um, so before we really get deep into the topic, I do want to stop and give a trigger warning for those who don't know about Tina Turner's life and the things that she went through. This is your trigger warning. There will be topics that are sensitive, topics that really might trigger you that really might upset you as we get into some of it we're not going to go super deep into detail about a lot of the things that she faced in her previous marriage and growing up but we are going to have to talk about it because it is a part of the story um it is a part of of tina's testimony of her ministry so um, it's her name name, right and her name period so uh what's love got to do with like first of all angela bassett yes gave us she did what had to be done, and she gave us what we she needed. She did like, what period. needed to be done, as period. Paul would say. I mean, <laughs> I, I couldn't imagine anyone else receiving that role and delivering the way Angela did. Like, mm-hmm. And also, it was the era of Angela at that time. It, it was. Like, I, it's ne- which, because let's she was say, also the in the Jackson ended. 5 movie. She was in the Jackson <laughs> 5. She was in, you know, um, What's Love Got to Do With It. Stella, Waiting <laughs> yes. to Exhale. I mean, yep. this that, this is that era of film, mm-hmm. um, that, or that early, mid-90s. There was just iconic films, and she was, this was literally yeah. a crazy time in her career. And for her to take on the role of a lifetime and to play Tina Turner, I mean, that had to be, mon- it was definitely a monumental moment in her career. I mean, it definitely elevated her to a whole different level. But what is, you know, I think phenomenal about the film itself is that if you go back and look at um, Tina and, and her, her journey, she did not want to tell this story. This was not a story that she wanted to tell. 
this was a story that she knew she had to tell because she was always, 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 this topic was always being brought up and her past was always being brought up. So let's dive into it. Let's get into the film. Let's get into like some of those crazy monumental parts of the film that just really make it what it is. And let's just, you know, let's just, let's go, let go. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So um, I think the very beginning scene for me is one of those scenes that I just, I never, I'm I'm never not able to watch that scene of the movie. Like I always have to watch the beginning when she's singing at church, the little girl just in the church. That's like one of the best scenes of the whole movie. It's one of the best scenes of the whole movie. First of all, that lady was hating. Such a hater. Such a hater. Like, let that girl oh. sing. And the fact that she just kept going, like, she didn't care. She kept mm-hmm. singing the same way every time. She told her, This is not the nightclub. What you will not be doing is ad libbing over this song. Like, you out there with Mr. What's His Face and his slide trombone. <laughs> and I was like, Yes. First of all, get her together because that and was a, a phenomenal like, read. Girl, this is a child. She ain't been to no nightclub. She don't know Period. what she's talking about. Period. She just done heard the radio. <laughs> That's what it was. She really, I mean, like, and it was, let it be known. Let it be known. Um, absolute hater. Uh, <laughs> so this, oh, for those who don't know, the opening scene of the film, um, you've got little Tina Turner at the church choir and she's singing, but she's ad-libbing. She is taking this song on her own. <laughs> and it, it was I think definitely supposed to foreshadow the fact that one, this is a film about a singer. <laughs> There's going to be music in here, guys, in case you didn't know. Um, and two, it's some, it, this was her gift. This was something that she was exhibiting yeah. from an early age. Um, when you talk about Tina's personal life and her early childhood, she had a very rough childhood. Um, her, her parents, there was an abusive relationship there. There was domestic violence. They, they did not have a very happy home. And it when it got to the point where it, and I it, even in the documentary um she says what she saw was she saw her mother fight back like it wasn't like her mother yeah. would just take beatings her mother her mother fought back and um yeah so for her you know like it got to the point where her mother eventually was like enough is enough um and she left yeah and so when the father realized that she was gone he left um and then she was ultimately being cared for by a cousin and later I think by her grandmother possibly had a part to do with her raising until she was like 17. What do you think about that? Uh, what do you think I think, about that? There's I think that is, there's so many layers and I think it's incredibly, I think the one who suffered the most, because everybody in this equation suffered. Everybody in the equation suffered. I don't know her, her father's life and what he went through and, and what brought him to the point where he was the way he was or if he was just born evil I don't know um I know in many you know I know a lot of times that uh, abusers were abused but that's mm-hmm. not the only way that abusers become abusers right. um so I don't know what his story was but I know that because of the relationship that her mother had with him consequently her mother did not want her her mother did not like her she never liked her. Actually, if you look through her whole life, her mom never really liked her. And um, it created a sense of abandonment in Tina being left so young. So I think for me, looking on that particular situation, knowing that she went, went later on to live with her mother, I just, it gives me, I have a continued respect for her. Um, and it continues you know, to grow. I don't 
it was probably that her mom didn't like her. Her mom probably resented her. Because her mom saw the dad when she looked at her. And I think I think the only reason, like, I feel like I could, I don't know if it's because I'm a mom now, maybe, but I personally couldn't imagine, like, leaving Alluri behind, you know what I'm saying, like, or even subjecting her, you know, to a type of situation like that. I come from a family of women who have been through that. So I couldn't, like, it's been drilled in me of, like, a that's the absolutely no, we're not doing that. Mm-hmm. But I feel like for her to, I feel like it was, one, it was probably hard for her to actually leave her child behind. Because when she looks at her, she looks, it, it's like looking at the mistakes you've made. Mm-hmm. You have to, when you look at her, you have to think about the fact that you left her behind every time you look at her. When you look at her, you have to think about this abusive relationship every time you look at her. I don't even think it's that she didn't like her. I think it's that she wasn't emotionally ready to deal with her. Mm. I yeah, I could see that. Does that I make sense? See that. It, no, it absolutely makes sense. Um, the only reason I actually said that she did not like her, those were actually Tina's exact words, was that her mother did not want her. She didn't want her and she did not like her. Um, of course, she would and, feel that way. And you, it, yeah, it looked that would. way. It did. But <laughs> and it I probably think, felt that think, way too. For sure. And I think even part of that is, you know, as, as a mother who is so caring, who loves your child, who who is always there, who does everything for your child, I think seeing someone who within who who is not exhibiting what you exhibit and i think that that might be (laughs) yeah i think you're trying i think you're actually trying to rationalize it because part of i think part of what throws me where i see some where i feel tina's and you know i've shared this with people in my personal life i don't think i've ever said it a ton on the podcast but my biological mother did not want not gonna say she did not want me that i'm gonna correct myself but my biological mother did not raise me and she was unable to raise me and it did create a sense of abandonment in me i felt like she didn't like me because she raised my older brother and she raised my younger sister so and that was what tina faced is that when her mother left eventually i don't know if it was a right away thing or how it because they didn't talk about it in the documentary, but it was shown in the film and it was talked about in the book. But her her mother took her older sister with her. So she yeah. did raise her older sister, you know, and I could see how that would create a but sense at the of same she time, doesn't too, like me. What was the what was the quality of that? So I can I can relate to that with as far as like my dad or whatever, because some mm-hmm. of my siblings did like grow up with him and live with him but now that we're adults and we have these conversations and you know they tell me you know they have their own issues even being there you know what I'm saying Mm -hmm. even being around him and so it's like sometimes like we have to to think about I have well not we but I have to think about the fact that it's like it's one thing to have a parent that's present, but what's the point of being present if you aren't instilling anything, if it's not a value, yeah. you know what yeah, I mean? So it's like, true. even even once her mom was in her life, what value was she giving? Let's mm-hmm. be honest. She was better off. She was. <laughs> better off. She, she absolutely was. No shade was. and no disrespect, but she was, she was better off. You know what I'm saying? So sometimes... Mm-hmm. You know, presence doesn't add any value either. It, it, it might oh, yeah. be worse. <laughs> yeah. I agree because I feel like in my in my particular situation, I was I was better off. And clearly, 
in Tina's situation as as she got older, I think it 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 still had an impact on her because that's the mm-hmm. funny thing about generational curses. That is the funny thing about the impact that those before us have on us, like especially our direct, our parents, those who came to create us, is even for her to not been raised by her mother and to have witnessed what she did witness, that was something that she recycled in her life. That was something that ended up showing up again, that ended up mirroring, mirroring what she'd seen and being in a, a direct parallel in her life. So and I think- what's messed up about it is like, you go through all that pain and really, you can't even really take it personally because what they're doing isn't technically about you. It's their demons mm-hmm. and their other yeah. issues prior to you even getting there. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? That's very it, true. But, but you have to carry that now and you have to deal with it and try to figure out how to heal from it. It ain't even your mess. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's crazy. And I think I th- there's even that part in the movie where she's like riding away with her grandmother. I think they're on the, the horse or the donkey and they're walking away, riding around from the house. And she's saying, you know, like, like, does she, is she coming back? Like, does she, does she not want me? Cause she took Eileen with her. Like, why does she not want me? Like, what's wrong with me? And, and that was, as as a child, even that was a moment that always stuck with me. I never said anything about it as a child, but I always had that moment like, what's wrong with me? And it was that for me, seeing that was it. It was the the building block, that relatability was a building block for me to eventually get out of my own head and out of that that dark emotion. So yes, we fast forward in the film a little bit um, to now Tina's about 17 and she's going from where she was born and, and raised, Nutbush, Tennessee, to now she's moving up north. I feel like it might've been like Chicago or something. Yeah, um, I, I think it was Chicago. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it was Chicago. So she moves up to where her mother and her sister are living in Chicago. Um, and this is for her to go to school and you know she's going to become a nurse and she's going to do great things and make a living for herself and yeah, marry a man and that was you, you know like <laughs> yeah and that's what, I mean like she was she they wanted her to be a nurse she was going to go to nursing school you know and she was going to do the the 1960s housewife like that's what the plan was mm-hmm. for her and what changed about that I think the first thing to note is that Tina always knew that she wanted to be an entertainer I think that that's interesting because when she got ready to graduate um, high school it was in her her high school graduation um, in the yearbook, there was, I think it has like their, their perspective careers, what they want to do at the bottom of like their picture. And hers was entertainer. And I think that's so crazy that that speaks volumes that it, it manifested it, absolutely manifested it. Um, and she did like, that's what's crazy is that she did manifest what she wanted. And when she moved to, her, to, to live with her mother, as she's in Chicago, Chicago was bustling, you know, like Chicago was bustling. Like this was a yeah. great time to be there, the music scene, a lot of live music, a lot of shows, a lot of clubs. Mm-hmm. And I mean, she was young. She was, you know, ready to get out there and see the world. And she ends up going clubbing with her sister. Her sister in the film is portrayed as, I think like a bartender at the yeah. club. Um, and she goes to the club and Tina talks about the fact that this whole time she's trying to get, she really wanted to get Ike's attention because she wanted to sing with mm-hmm. Ike. So I think that is, this is a big point to talk about because the film portrays it one way. In reality, it was a little bit different. Right. She did not initially have a crush on him. I think she did recognize he was attractive, but she wanted to sing with him because... the real Ike don't look like Lawrence Fishburne. So let's be clear, you guys. Let's be very clear. When you first see him, ain't nobody finna be like, ooh. I I could see it to a certain degree. Um, But the, the film... 
we had the swag. And then also what people don't know, a lot of people don't know this, but Ike Turner is actually credited with the creation of rock and roll as a genre. The first rock and roll song to be created was Rocket 88, a song that he wrote for Jackie Benson. And most people don't know that. He was in, yeah, he was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 91. I guess that's um, what he knew. He said, you leave me a girl six, I made famous. <laughs> that, and that's, that's, that's why they put that line in there, because that actually was a real thing. Like, th- there have been a number of artists, maybe three or more artists that he had written songs for because he act, he was a great writer. That was what he was good at, was writing this particular type and style of music and he was good at it. Um, and he, you know, made this song Rocket 88 that that went on to, you know, propel old dude Jackie to the top of the the, the scene and to, you know, kicking off rock and roll. But he was not rock. Rock and roll was actually created by Ike Turner. People don't know that. So um, I thought that was really cool to learn about him, even though he was still a disgusting human being. Um, so when she's meeting him, he, he's doing all of these live performances and he actually did not want to give her a chance to perform. He was not about it. She would ask her for him. He'd just like, you can't sing. He would look at her. He's like this little old frail. Cause she was very small when she first got into music. You know, we know Tina Turner as curvaceous and long legs and, but she was very small when she got into music and they always called her frail. Um, so she was not, uh, he did not look at her and think that she had what it took to be a, a right. performer. He did not think that she could sing, but she got him. She was still a kid. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely still a kid. She was 17. Like, um, so one night when he's performing, they would pass the microphone, like it's portrayed in the film. And, um, the drummer sat the mic down next to her and she turned the stage out and everybody was shook. Like everybody was like, no, she did not little Tina, not little anime, which is what was her name? Anime Bullet. Um, not little anime didn't just get up there and show out like that. And he was like, so I had no clue you had a voice like that. Like I had no idea that you could blow like that. Rock me, baby. Right. <laughs> Rock me out. Um, yeah, I love that song. I really do. I have that song saved on my Spotify. Um, I really do. It's crazy. But she showed out, and I, that's one of my favorite scenes in, I have, and I also have some really questionable favorite scenes in this film, too, but that's one of my favorite scenes is when she gets into Ali's white dress and goes to the club, and she's okay. like, she, I, she anime, I told you not to put that white dress on. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, she said, right. "I said not the right. I, I see, I see you right for I see you right now. And she's just real. <laughs> she was really feeling it. Um, and so she gets up there. She turns out the stage. Were they singing Rock Me Baby or were they singing Um Uh uh-uh. Uh? They were singing I Um I Know You Love Me Baby. Oh yeah, but, but you never tell me so. Tell me so. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. And Tina got up there. Oh! <laughs> I live across the street from the view, but I was like, yeah, when she sings that song, let me tell you. So what I did not know growing up, because I thought Angela Bassett had covered all the songs, which I realized <laughs> Tina had actually re-recorded the songs to do a soundtrack for the film. So oh, Tina had so actually good. re-recorded all of the vocals that you're hearing that's where smart. Tina this very smart. That is smart. She, yes. Because actually, that is Lawrence Fishburne's voice, if you go back and listen to it. That is Lawrence Fishburne singing. Oh. 
If you listen, that is it. That is his speaking voice. If you listen, that That's is Lawrence Fishburne's voice. But I didn't know. I thought mm-hmm. they used the songs. No, I think I think but her and this doing is just me that theorizing. Is genius. That is me genius. theorizing is that they actually use they use Lawrence Fishburne's vocals for the film. I don't think that she wanted to give Ike anything for that. That's film. why I said that was smart so, because um, even by her doing that, she could just re-release that stuff and get and that's what she did, and she, she got, got those royalties, <laughs> which is gonna which we're gonna get to the conversation about royalties in a minute because oh, that yes, actually does that play was, into that the was conversation. A, that was a smart. It was very move. very, was very smart, smart move. Smart um, yeah, I, yeah, good job on catching that because I didn't even think about how smart of a move that was. Mm-hmm. I just appreciated the fact that it's on Spotify and I can listen to the whole album from the movie. Um, the soundtrack gives me my whole life. I'm telling you, if you have yeah. not listened oh, to that soundtrack beginning to end, movie. relive I watched the movie. It's so much. I watch it all the time. Like I watch this movie at least a hundred times a year, and that's not exaggerating. Exactly. I will go to sleep with this movie and wake up have and play it again. It I don't think so. We uh-huh. might have went, we might, uh-uh, I don't think so. No, we might have, because I I had it on DVD when I lived in Atlanta, so it's very possible. We need to make that happen. We'll make it happen, period. Um. So, so okay, continuing. So, yes. basically, we're just going to kind of speed into the actual career that they had together. So, he ends up getting Tina to come and join the group, and mm-hmm. um, he, he has this whole review, and, and for the longest, it was just Ike and the Ikeettes, and it was the Ike Turner review, and she was not recognized as a solo artist per se, or as the like featured artist out of the group, but it was just con- considered his group. Um, and as the, they rose to fame, I mean, like they were they were putting out songs. Now there is a scene um, because it, eventually it goes. Now the the movie tells it one way, and reality tells it another. So I'm gonna uh, say what the movie does, and then we'll we'll talk about that. But then I'm gonna tell you what actually happened because I did not know this. My I was like, oh. I was like, that feels like it might be a little tea that I did not know. Um, so in the film, uh, as they're they're singing and performing, there's a scene where, um, you know, his his wife at the time, Lorraine, she she like kind of loses it. Oh, she goes a little yeah. ballistic. And it's not about that, but she goes a little oh, ballistic okay. and that leads, you know, when she goes ballistic, she she harms herself and it leads to the destruction of her and Ike's marriage. It's how the film puts it. Um, and that same night is when he made it, a, you know, some advances on Tina, which ultimately is in the film, Tina gets pregnant um, with their first child while she's performing with him. And then uh, we start to see things like Fool in Love, which is one of my favorite songs from the movie. Um, like really, really guilty obsession. Like one of my favorite scenes of that movie is when she does not feel good when she's sick and she goes out to perform Fool in Love. I don't know what it is about that performance. It's not what leads up to that performance. Let me just let y'all know I'm not a heartless. Right. But when she get up on that stage and Angela Bassett is crying with these tears coming down her face. There's something wrong with <laughs> Yes. Like, cries her way through that lyric. Doom, 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 doom. You just And then, like, just the, re- the way that that was performed. Oh, my God. Yeah, love the way that, that scene was performed, it was, it was. I do so too. Good. It's that literally. That watched the tear. She originated the tear. She originated tore the up. tear. <laughs> tore it up. Now, and then he walked up and is, kissed her on the cheek. He did walk up and kiss her on the, the cheek. The gaslighting of it all. All of it. <laughs> but they, I mean, like, I really did not like Lawrence Fishburne for a long time because of that movie. Like, I was like, he's untrustworthy. That's right. Ike Turner. He'll beat you. You know, like, and I mean, that's child logic. You know, that's child logic. But 
it was, I mean, seeing that scene, that's how you're thinking it played out. You think it plays out that he gets her pregnant and, you know, the career is going on and then fool in love happens and they're, they're moving up the charts and then, you know, they get engaged and this, that and the other. Well, that's not what happened. That's not at all what happened. In reality, she did join the group. She started singing. Um, she was the the like lead girl essentially in the group. She was the voice. She was the feature. She was the the show. And she, basically, he's really pushing them to help really fine tune her craft. He's trying to get her her voice stronger. And for the beginning of their entire relationship, they had a brother sister relationship. Everyone in the band talked about it. They were inseparable. They were very close. They got along really well. It was strictly platonic for the longest, not for the longest, but for, for a moment, it really was. Um, and that is not something that was really portrayed a ton in the film. Like we saw they made a very right from jump. It was, you know, brief moment, a relationship. Yeah. And it wasn't um, it, that took time to develop. So her first child was actually not Ike's. Her first child, she was dating, I think, the saxophonist of the group. He was either the saxophonist or the drummer. I think he was the saxophonist. She was dating um, another bandmate, though, and that's who um, her first child was by. So uh, they, they after... They like, bleeped that whole thing out. They bleeped that they whole thing out because they, they make like, it... Ah, baby, okay, next. <laughs> yeah, they just... The film made it seem like her first child was, was by Ike mm-hmm. because she's pregnant after yeah. this love scene, you know, with Ike. So it was, it was an insinuation, but they didn't go into any detail about that. Um, and I think that even might have played a role into how the raising of the kids and his relationship with the kids later on. Uh, but that was something I didn't know. I thought that was interesting. Uh, yeah. That was very interesting. And then also interesting in the fact that later on he takes on um, the Turner last name. So I just found that very interesting. Uh, but she does later go on to have a child with Ike. And as their career progresses, I mean, the the music wise, the the charts wise, they're doing well. They're they're succeeding we've got huge songs out like fool in love and um they go on and they're getting ready to you know cover one of the songs that's going to be extremely monumental in both of their careers to take them to the next level and everybody knows that that song was proud mary um like let's pause from the film a little bit because i think we'll pick up the film after the break but i really just want to talk a little bit about proud mary and the tina turner aesthetic and the legs like you know i think from time to time you like to hear something from us nice and easy but you see we never ever ever do nothing nice and easy we always do it nice and rough so what happened? Okay, so all right, all right. Uh, <laughs> let me tell you, I will, let me, Tina is at like that intro is iconic. Uh, first of all, I don't think you can talk Tina Turner and not talk yeah. Proud Mary. What? And the thing about it for me was the performance that she would give, even doing this rock R and B, because it was technically called R and B, but they were really doing the beginning of rock here. And what what the type of music, the type of performing that they did, the type of stage presence that this woman had at this time is she was giving crazy energy and crazy choreography, mm-hmm. like would cover the full stage and both definitely vocals, powerhouse vocals that 
you weren't hearing women sing like that at the time. Yeah. It was a lot of dainty vocals mm-hmm. in the 60s and 70s. Usually it was a lot of... That or very churchy. Or very churchy. You know, like, honestly, if you look at it, Tina Turner laid way for, like, us to have Shaka Khan, you know, mm-hmm. like these powerhouse vocals to come through yep. and and um um Cheryl. Uh oh, what's Cheryl's last name? I see her face. Um Encore Cheryl. Oh, not sure. Is it Encore Cheryl? Cheryl. Yes. Encore. The song Encore. Your love. Your love. Oh. So yeah. I can't remember her last name right now. Um, but Cheryl. Yes. Cheryl yeah. Lynn. There we go. Cheryl Lynn. So like honestly. Tina Turner really gave way for those artists to come through because you, you, if you look at the time, there was a lot of like Diana Ross and these sweet whiskey tones. And even Michael Jackson was part of the Jackson 5. There was a lot of sweet harmonies. There was a lot of temptation, like yep. the temptations in Motown. This is the time of Motown and the music was smooth and it was, it was groups and it was classy and it was all about these suits and these gowns and you know extravagant beautiful gowns beautiful gowns gowns, period (laughs) but tina was giving sensuality and sexuality and power and force she is a force of nature and i think just the whole tina turner aesthetic like that whole energy that she would bring to Mm -hmm. a stage has made way for the modern day pop diva like you yep nothing it's literally it's it's the the blueprint the leotards and it's the blueprint period like the fringe you can't you would not have had the beyonce and the janets and the britney spears the eight period the eight counts like literally Mm. what she was doing she was the blueprint this is the schematic here this is Mm -hmm. how it all came to be Mm. and i feel blessed i feel that we're truly blessed in this opportunity to be able to give her her flowers while she's living. Like, because, you know, I I look back on it and just to be brief about this, but I look back on it and I wish that we could have given flowers to DMX prior or given flowers to Chadwick prior or um, Cicely prior. Like those are people who needed, who who needed people to have been really talking about what they were doing when they were doing it. And um, Tina is, is, this is the chance we've got, you know? (laughs) So like, yeah. Uh, yes, Tina Turner, the legs. Uh, I mean, like I remember one of the facts growing up that always stuck with me <laughs> that her legs were worth a million dollars. I was never able to not I know that it. her legs were insured for a million dollars, like insured, because that's that was like her staple. Like you knew you were going when Tina took the stage, you knew you were going to see legs, and you knew you were going to see footwork, and you were going to get power vocals. Yeah, like, here period. I am out here showing leg for free. <laughs> What? I'm showing a whole piece of thigh for free. <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, I just, I just, words just can't describe what I feel for Tina Turner. <laughs> like, I'm totally a, a, a major fanboy, and as a as a singer and songwriter, as a vocalist, like, she is one of those artists, and I, I'm really at a loss for words. That's why I'm really saying like so many times because words just really can't do justice. <clears throat> to an artist or for an artist who has made such an impact on music and um, what I was going to ask before we go um, to a break just to you know do some a couple I guess lighthearted questions we could do a little little Tina um, <laughs> if you had to pick like what are your top three Tina Turner songs like Ooh. three you got to pick only three 
I'm gonna let you think First about of all, it. Not much city limits. Okay, okay period. <laughs> period. Church That's definitely on my Okay. Period. Schoolhouse outhouse. Oh, highway number nineteen. Yes. The people keep the people keep clean. We are so <laughs> gonna get striped for all of these songs in here. Uh, <laughs> they're gonna be like copyrighted for city uh, <laughs> Yes. Not the way we sing it. <laughs> right at all. They're like, we don't know what that is. That <laughs> it is sounds like it might be a melody. <laughs> um, so for so sure, definitely going with that for sure. That's like one of my favorites. Um, Fool in Love is definitely mm. mm-hmm. that is just the way she was just she was singing, singing. When she hit that hey hey. I said yes, Girl, especially that hey. last hey when she like has to scream it out. Hey, yes, hey. that one. Like she yes. Goes, mm. like, yes, and then be man, dancing like, the whole time. The whole. T- okay, <laughs> so fool in love, Nutbush city limits. Yes. And what um, else? I don't remember what my third one was. I forgot. I'll, you, we'll come back to you. We'll come back to you, and I'm gonna say my three. So um, it's really hard for me to give just three because it's Tina Turner. Um, but. I might have been queen has to be on my list because that the way that she hits this song and when she hits that I'm a soul survivor yeah that's my part right there that that alone just takes me there every time but um I might have been queen is on my list um what's love got to do with it because let me tell y'all listen it will get you out of the rut it's it's the lyrics for me it's the lyrics and the delivery for me because um when a heart can be broken yes um it, it girl, just pure girl who need it girl Not right me, girl. pure <laughs> goddess unbothered energy and i love i live for um so i think my third one it's hard because i want to put nutbush city limits on there because i love nutbush city limits like that is my bop i love i love that song so much and i really want to put it on there and i also want to put fool in love on there because i love fool in love and i think i'm gonna go with fool in love because of that holler like the holler gets me nutbush is my honorary mention it's my honorable mention i have to but fool in love takes me there like i will be having a bad day and go look up her live performances you feel it like And it really makes you question your life. It really makes you quit because if you think about it, I think, especially for her, I wonder how it felt singing that song, going through what she was going through. Like I, 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 and I, I'm sure we could assume, but I really wonder like for her singing those lyrics, talking about being a fool in love and even saying in some of her performances, don't be a fool in love. And, you know, she's going through this really, difficult disturbing experience with ike so yeah we are gonna take a quick break and when we get back from the break we're gonna talk a little bit more about their relationship um the marriage um the things that really caused it to end and what happened with her career post that relationship so we'll see you right after this break bow we're back in here um i think that's becoming like one of my things now i i, I used to like really ride with bow back like 2000 i think it was 10 
or maybe yeah, 11 that was like, it was like, it was like one of my words right song. then. It was a song out. It um, was. I can't remember what song it was. Like, bow, bow. <laughs> it was the whole thing. <laughs> well, I know that bow, just, I, just as, a, as like a, as an exclamation, it, it, it worked for me. The Halle Berry song, he's like, bow, bow, bow. That might have, <laughs> honestly, that might have been, that might have did it for me. Or it might have been one of those skits I was watching on YouTube around that time because people would use that as like an ad lib all the time. They'd be like, bow. That like, was it was crazy. just, it was the thing. And so it just really stuck with me. So I think I'm bringing it back. Um, don't call it a comeback. I've been here for years. Uh, right. <laughs> Jay, bow is not going to happen. Stop trying to make bow happen again. Um, <laughs> so, uh, Tina, you know, obviously she was still anime Bullock at the time and she and Ike, uh, if you're following the movie, you know, at this point in the movie, we are, we skipped a little bit around because we had to do a little fact checking from the film. Um, but the film was based off of a, an autobiography she wrote and we're going to get into a couple more details about the relationship and what led her to writing this book. So I think for me, um, at that age, you know, knowing kind of who Tina Turner was because like I said when I first watched it, I had no clue I thought Angela was Tina but later on being able to learn who Tina was and seeing her at you know different award shows and seeing her do different things it was um it was really difficult to watch the truth or to watch her perspective and her side of her marriage and the reason I have to say that is because it's always it, it there's always multiple sides to a story and I 100% side with, with Tina. I, it's not a question. I I, I, I 100% side with Tina. There's no question there. Um, and for me, growing up and seeing that, I think that was my first real understanding of what abuse was. Mm-hmm. Um, it was my first real understanding of what a dangerous relationship looked like. I'd never, I'd never seen anything like that <clears throat> because in my family, um, we're just a very, we're a pretty loving family. Like a lot of people love each other. We like to sit, we like to be around each other for the most part. Like we have our little arguments here and there. People do love each other. They just, they have toxic ways of showing it. And that's what, like for me, the toxicity that I witnessed growing up was nothing compared to what was being, you know, portrayed in the film or what Tina was actually experiencing. So for me, you know, witnessing that level of toxicity dramatized in this film, it, 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 to a certain degree, initiated a growing up for me, because I realized that I had it really good compared to how it could have been. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, mean, I, I really want to hear your perspective, because I think it, to me, what's more valuable to hear is what, as a young woman growing up, as a girl, Thing that did you because I know you talked about your your familial experience but you learned from your family but seeing this in a film yeah. about you know a superstar like what was that like for you growing up um I think it's it's a few layers to it because mm-hmm. for me when I when I saw that movie like the crazy thing is when I saw that movie they they did that autobiography so well that I wasn't even thinking about Tina Turner, the superstar. I was thinking mm-hmm. the woman. The woman, yeah. Like I feel like they showed us the woman and not the superstar. You know what I mean? And so mm. for me, watching that, seeing that woman go through that, 
for one, I I was familiar with it because I didn't personally grow up in an abusive household, but a lot of the elder women in my family were in abusive relationships. And so that's something that was talked to me about very early of like, don't no man put their hands on you, period. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. seeing that, my first thing was like, as as a child, I was trying to figure out why nobody was helping her. Mm-hmm. That's what I was, I was sitting there. I was so shocked of people standing by, not realizing that that's the reality of most abused women is people mm-hmm. standing by. And then on top of that, it's like, because I watched the movie so much, like I literally my entire life have watched that movie so much. Mm-hmm. It's, it's Same here, yes, absolutely. It's almost like it's a TV show in my life. <laughs> That's yeah. how much I watch it. So it's like, as I'm grow, I grew with the movie. Every time I'm watching the movie, as I'm growing, I'm seeing the movie differently. That's the the, the other thing about what makes you want to keep watching is because as you grow the more you grow, you see the movie differently every single time you watch it. And as I kept watching it, I'm like, I was, as a child, I couldn't figure out why nobody was helping her. And then as I Mm -hmm. got older, I was trying to figure out why she was staying. Mm -hmm. And then the, what really got me though, my whole life that I still to this day cannot is her, her mom in the movie. I don't, I don't know if this was in real life. Her yes, mom, it was. Oh my God. Her mother calling him, mm-hmm. telling him where she is after she got away. I could, I just, that, listen, I can't, my brain cannot. And people always say when you were a kid that like we don't understand stuff because mm-hmm. we're kids. I got a whole child now and it still don't make sense to me how you could do that mm-hmm. to your kid. I just don't get yeah. it. I don't. I think having seen the documentary, um, which what's crazy, I'm just going to be 100% transparent for our 51 listeners. I actually watched the documentary the day we were recording this. Um, I've been meaning to watch it, but I, I knew that we were going to do this Tina episode and I was like, I have to watch it today because we're recording this episode. And in watching that documentary um, and hearing her talk more about the abusive relationship, because in the film, it, there are a lot of scenes. There are, uh, there, there are so many scenes of the abuse and the portrayal um, <clears throat> of the things that she went through. Um, and she talked about a lot of times that it would go from, you know, physical abuse into something even more, e- even worse than that. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, in violating you know her personal space and her body even more and and she said that happened quite often and that was exhibited in parts of the film as well and I think for me growing up uh, or even now I'll say even now knowing more of her story the film did kind of portray it in a way that made it seem like more people knew than knew Mm-hmm. Um, because in the film, it seems like the whole band is like, in a, like the whole band, is like that she's just getting beat around people all the time. <laughs> and I think the truth, the way that she's explained it, is that because they even there's a lot of questions that she she's gotten over the, the cake years. In the face and frog was bigger than everybody. I that's right. Still, I I 
that's still a moment that just doesn't. I don't understand. And for me, that moment happening in public. Anime just eat the cake. What? No, you just beat him up for me. How about that? (laughs) Yeah. And even, oh, and Jackie. Jackie's another character that I'm going to talk about in a second. Um, But Jackie is not the woman who introduced her to Buddhism, Mm. um, which is something very interesting. Interesting enough, she's what made me explore it. Uh, like, I'm not surprised by that. that. And, I'm and not seeing how, for because I'm like, if she can ground herself from that chaos, mm-hmm. what's over there? <laughs> right. What? Come on now. Like she's Come on how now. I got into it because um, I'm like, I need to, you know me, I need to ground myself. I be needing to be grounded. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's definitely. And I think, I think even hearing her say that, you know, it, she they made it it was a, a priority of her life for people to not know. Like she made it to where people did not know. As few people as possible knew what was going on. And there were certain aspects where people could see his temper, you know, in public where they would be like, oh, he's just got an ugly temper. But there was a lot of it that she hid from the public and from people, you know, who were with them on a daily basis. There were some things that she could hide and some things that she couldn't. And ultimately it gets to a point where um, another trigger warning um, it gets to a point where Tina has just had enough and she doesn't want to live anymore. And so the way that she tells it is that she goes to her doctor. She says, hey, doctor, I'm having a really tough time getting to sleep. I just need something to help me sleep. And she, he gives her a prescription of sleeping, um, sleeping aid. <clears throat> she holds on to it for about a week. Then one night before going to perform, she, and she says it just like this. She said, I took the whole bottle in one swallow. She said, and I was finally thinking to myself, okay, this is it. You know, this is this is the release. This is the goodbye. And she went to that show that night. She said, I showed up to work. Just like everything was fine. You know, everybody was in a good mood. The iCats were feeling great. They were just all happy and giddy. And she goes, and I'm just sitting here thinking like, goodbye. Like, this is it. Like, y'all have no idea what's on the other side of this. And um, ultimately her stomach was pumped and, you know, she was... She went unconscious and, they, and then she was, you know, rushed to the emergency room and her stomach was pumped. And um, <clears throat> what is really hard for me is watching, because I feel like that scene in the film, it was very brief. And that was a huge moment in her life. That was actually a really big moment because that was when she was introduced to uh, Buddhism. And that's how it shows in the film. Um, but the way that it shows in the film is that the the she scorned the former, yeah, she went to the homegirl's house and she went to, um, you know, just kind of check in with her. But really, she just went to to know that she could be safe and be around somebody and to vent. And, and ultimately, um, in the film, that's how she started to practice Buddhism, by being introduced um, by Jackie to um, this this chant and this mantra. And in reality, what happened, which I find very interesting how this played out, because Ike went to find someone who could help her. And there was someone at his, um, because after the success of Proud Mary, this is when he builds the studio in the house and they had all of this money. And, you know, financially, they're doing the best they've ever done. Mm -hmm. So he's got this studio that he he's basically got a whole team that helps run this studio. And on the team was this, this woman, Valerie Bishop. I think that's her last name is Bishop. I might've made that up, but we'll you know, <laughs> Google it. Google, it's out there. It's Google. Valerie. Um, Valerie. Valerie. So, <laughs> Valerie, she was uh, an employee at the label 
And she introduced Tina to Buddhism. And that introduction to Buddhism is what saved her life. Um, it, it not just saved her, her life from her wanting to harm herself or not be here anymore, but it really helped her rediscover her purpose and rediscover her confidence. And that's one thing that I think in the film, they made, they, they, there was a really nice montage moment where she's chanting and he's getting irritated and he's turning the music up and she's still chanting. And, right. you know, like <laughs> I love the unbotheredness of her. When she gets her confidence Loved back, it. nothing bothered her. She was like, so, she was over it, okay? She was, she was so just over like, it. Count your days, Ike. Count your days. So let me tell you the last fight that they have in the limo. Is oh wait, before we pre- before we get to oh, that, yes, I yes, did yes. want to say mm-hmm. one thing. Um, because I do feel like, you know, now as an adult watching it, when when you think about like when people speak about domestic violence and women in domestic violence and women who stay, it's portrayed from like a place of weakness. Mm-hmm. But if you think about it, think about what Tina Turner was carrying on her so yeah she's she having these babies so you know she going through postpartum depression right mm-hmm. so she's postpartum depression she getting beat <laughs> while she's in this depression she got this career that she got to maintain where mm-hmm. she working with the man that's beating her who is emotionally mentally abusing her throughout these sessions but she got to go out here she got to put on a good face she got to do these interviews she got to do these shows she got to act like ain't nothing going on Mm-hmm. She has to go out there and pretend like she don't have not a care in the world. When really, her whole because if you think, well, obviously you wouldn't know you're a guy, but when you're pregnant, you literally you have no emotional control. Like your hormones are that is that intense. So where you don't be knowing why you feel how you feel, you just feeling it, and you don't know what mm-hmm. to do about it. So imagine going through that. You in this abusive relationship. With, like that's strength to even for her to fight as long as she did to right. not give up because that's a lot to be dealing with I couldn't mm-hmm. imagine dealing what I was dealing with when I had a Lori and then on top of that getting beat by a man ain't no right. way I could deal with all of that mm-hmm. like absolutely in a way yeah I mean like I think strength is the the, the word the first word that always comes to mind when I think of mm-hmm. Tina Turner because you have to, like it was it was more than just you know physical strength to to go through what she went through but it was literally all of the mental emotional spiritual strength that one could muster to get through those types of obstacles and that type of you know without a support system without a support that's system supposed to guide you is telling your abuser where you at and i mean like she had no friends she had no cuz like literally if you look at it she she was not getting paid so to speak by like from her success he was giving her an allowance mm-hmm. so that was he had control of the money mm-hmm. he had control of the social circle those are all his friends she said she made it very clear in the documentary she said i didn't have friends like i didn't have friends she said i worked i didn't have friends her. he I, completely isolated her and i mean which is a very is a trademark of domestic mm-hmm. violence the trademark of i think and even for her i think it was a, a bit of stockholm syndrome like she was she did not want to hurt him because he had people leave him before because he had people do this, that, and the other and abandon him before. Mm-hmm. She didn't want to add to that pain. And because she didn't want to hurt him, it just continued to hurt her. So um, it gets and to the I point where- I think we've all through... been there before. 
before. Yes. Though, where we, oh, I mean, everybody, I mean, it's where we, here we <laughs> are thinking, you know, state, not that exact same, you know, state, but yeah, absolutely. I agree where maybe we're in relationships, we're, we're in situationships where we're accepting pain as, you know, mm-hmm. as the payment for staying in a relationship or staying in a situation or staying mm-hmm. around somebody. Uh, absolutely. Um, <clears throat> for me, she's also not just a, a, a cautionary tale of, you know, how we have to always really look out for ourselves to a certain degree. Um, it is important to surround yourself with people who are going to have your best interest at heart and who are going to help you when you need the help. But we're not always in a position where we're going to be able to find those people. It's yep. just the truth of the matter. We're not, you always have to be able to stand on your own. And that, I mean, like the one thing you can say about Tina is that she always stood on her own. Even her mother said there was an interview in the documentary where you can you can tell in the interview that her mother like it, it's pretty clear when her mother speaks about her that she knows she can't take credit for anything that is tina turner she knows that there's nothing there's nothing that tina has accomplished or done in her life that she can take any credit for because she she had really positive. nothing to do with the racing not she yeah not anything positive being an abusive relationship i mean yeah, hate, she could. To a certain degree, absolutely. But I mean, I I wonder how far back that generation of curse goes. Cause, That's very true. You know, like it, it could have been even out of her out of her head. It could have been before her. You know, mm-hmm. it's above me now. You know, it could have definitely been above her. You know, like <laughs> it could have been one of those situations. You know, and, but, but the only thing, the only reason why I say it's on her is because at the end of the day, when you're an adult and you're, an, you're a parent, it's your responsibility to do it different. It's your responsibility to to get you together in any way you can so that you can give that child the best life. Like you just absolutely at the, at the end of the day, that's your responsibility. You have to. But you know that's a double edged sword because somebody could repeat that statement about Tina Turner being in that marriage for sixteen years. You know, that's why I'm like it's can. it's a, it's it, her, it, it, absolutely they that's what I'm saying. It's like her just like if her kids was in that same her kids could point the finger at her. They could absolutely. at the end of the day. Absolutely. She didn't see her grandma go through it. She saw her mama go through it. Mm-hmm. You know? This is true. This is very true. Um, I think what is, I think an even more beautiful part of her career is when she finally reaches that point where it, enough is enough. And there is a scene in the film in a limo where she's in a white suit. And that is too, that like, is that my, is too. That's the my team. second favorite scene. She, I mean, like, I love that scene. The running, oh, the running that. scene for me, I always feel so free and so light. Like, all of, none of my problems matter when that when that scene happens because i always tell myself no matter like how tough this day is you haven't had that day like you haven't had that day today like you haven't experienced what this woman right yeah, here is raining. portraying on this screen rain it like funny. and she so hearing tina explain that scene and talk about what happened in reality a lot of it was pretty on point like a, a lot of it was pretty factual from from her her recalling of the experience she was in a white suit he in the car i think he had like had chocolate and tried to make her eat something and she said uh, uh, and then he hit her and that just kind of started the 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 altercation in the car i was she so said, i'm not gonna lie i as a child i cheered i'm like get him i did too yes! i did too when she when she was like when she had that moment where she was just like she turned and looked at him and she and like Tina Turner said she had that moment that where Angela Bassett turns and looks at Lawrence Fishburne like enough is enough like this is it this is that moment she said she had that moment where he hit her and she stopped and she turned and looked at him and she said I gave him that look 
And she said, that look where I knew that enough had been enough. Like, this was it. She said, and I knew that day I was fighting back. And she said, he hit me again. She said, a few miles down the road, he backhanded me. And she said, and that was it. She goes, after that, we just, we were fighting. And she said, we walked into the- she walked in that hotel- Bloody, limping, period. Didn't care. Yes, we just got the fight in. Yes, he's been hitting me. I'm sick of it. I'm done. (laughs) Um, And so- for them to like they go up to the room and then she she makes her run when he falls asleep and she even talked about it she said i did what i do every time he and i got he would every time he beat me i did i did what i did every time he would beat me she goes and that was he got on the bed to lay down and i massaged his head and she said the second i heard snoring i grabbed my bag and i left and i never looked back and that was everything for me like that scene is phenomenal all right that is pause go back what did she she say she did what every time he beat her rubbed his head massaged his head that's what she said that's what she said in the documentary but i mean like again this is something that not not like i know i could but i'm just i know you like yeah i could no no, First that, but of that's all, that's what I think you for to get your head rubbed after you put your hands. But on. it's see, that's why I I don't even think it's something that I could even respond to because I've never been in that type of relationship. I've never yeah. been in such a, a mental <laughs> position in a state like I've had moments where I've hated myself. I've had moments where I've really didn't like myself, and I've had those moments where I wanted to not be here anymore. But I've never been in that set of predicament. That predicament where I have an abuser. It that I love you know I've never that's not been anything that I can even relate to so I can't the, the massaging of the head the you know I, yeah but I mean and he, he even the, the routine of it all point where she for one he lowered her self-esteem and he isolated her to mm-hmm. the point where she didn't even if she like the one place she thought she could go when she went she realized she couldn't she, go so well, it wasn't that safe point, yeah like well, you might like at that point you wouldn't you wouldn't even want to run at that point you would give up at that point because it's like well where mm-hmm. do I go what do I do I ain't really got no money because he's taking all the money that I'm mm-hmm. working for and I don't know where it's going and what he's doing with it that's why he's stressed out because ain't no telling what he's doing with the money <laughs> well he was smoking up. he was snorting up the money <laughs> right. that's what he, he was right. doing we know <laughs> what he like, was well, doing with the money yeah that's what he was he, <laughs> he was snorting the money away um that's Very what bad. happened with the money but it's um, like I just I feel for her because in that situation, like even me on the outside looking in, I'm trying to see a way out for her. It can't find it. You mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? Like yeah. I, I just man, I could not imagine. And I think God. that's what it took though. But it took it took her being introduced to to Buddhism to find that confidence back to be able to fight back to be able to run. It took that that sequence of events for her because that you sequence realize of events, that girl he bleed too girl hit him period like hit like, him hit him back and i i think it just it also you also have if you look at it when they first got together she was still a girl exactly. i mean like i don't so care that young. she was 20 or however young she was mm-hmm. she was maybe 22 23 um at when they were like really rising to fame and they were mm-hmm. married at that point and i mean like you said before, all of the pressure on her as a new mother, as a woman who might have been facing some postpartum depression, facing abuse, 
facing all like all types of violations and isolations. It there that amount of weight artist. and then being black, right? <laughs> and then being black time. on top of it, like it black in the sixties <laughs> in the in the Jim Crow sixties. Like mm-hmm. this is this is wild. It was just it was just wild. Like her her life, but for me, I think that's where we really get to the best parts of the film. Mm-hmm. after she escapes like mm-hmm. that scene she did she did run into the ramada inn she ran up asked for the manager the manager came out she gave him her id said look i'm tina turner i got 36 cents and a mobile card in my pocket i promise you if you give me a room i will pay you back and he said no ma'am it would be an honor to let you stay in our hotel night in our establishment and so when she what the movie does not show is when tina got in that room she made a phone call. She made one phone call. She called her attorney. Mm-hmm. She told her attorney what had happened. She said, I've had enough. I'm done. Get me out of here. The attorney got her a friend to come pick her up and a, a ticket to get up out of there. And she was gone. And that was, and she was done. Um, and I, I want to say that the next time she ended up really seeing Ike was when they were in court. Um, she, yeah, because uh, she disappeared. Up. I got tied up in <laughs> Yeah, she got, she disappeared. And I think that's going to be a word that recurs with, with, reoccurs with Tina is that she disappeared because she Mm -hmm. did actually disappear. She said she did not want to be found by any means, by him or anybody who knew him. So she disappeared um, until it was time for them to divorce. So let's speed through the divorce. She divorces him. He gets to keep everything. And she asked for one thing. What was that one thing she asked for, Dee? The name. She she said, I don't work too hard for that, Your Honor. I deserve my name. And right. he said, no, that, that, that's my daddy's name. It's got my daddy's blood on it. Got my daddy's blood on it. That's my name. And the, the, she was granted her name. She was granted her stage name. He took almost a million dollars, I want to say, in royalties and in money. And he had the houses. He had the cars. He had, he got so much from that settlement that he squandered away. But he got so much from that settlement. And what she got was her freedom. She said, July 4th. Okay. In her name, July 4th was actually the day after she ran away from him. And um, she said, I will always remember the 4th of July, not because it's Independence Day, but because it was my freedom day. Yeah. She said, my freedom. I got my freedom on the 4th of July. That's what um, I'm and I love that. now on the 4th of July. Tina Turner's Tina freedom. Turner's freedom. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> I'm celebrating now. <laughs> I'm going to be like, happy Tina Day. And people are like, what is exactly. wrong with you? That's like, my new house nothing's day. wrong Tina with me. Turner day. Mm-hmm. Um, throw the fourth away. Just replace it with Tina Day. Oh yes, that was a ooh, that was a bar. Um, so, <laughs> so um, this leads to a, a moment in Tina's career that was probably, I would say for her, it was pretty difficult having been this this big name to go back to doing very small performances because she was doing very small performances. Um, but I, I I feel like, and I should have looked this up before. I feel like she might have originated the residency in Las Vegas. Because at this time, Tina was living in Las Vegas doing these club residencies and she would like perform at all these different clubs. And her management was saying that she was basically taking any job she could to pay the bills because she was stuck with all of the bills from like the lawsuits to Ike about the music. And like when when he was sued by um, the, I think the background dancers and some of the, the bandmates sued him because of the settlement she had to take the lawsuit so she had to pay those fees and i still don't know how how that was legal how that played out but it's something in the lawsuit that because of because of the way that the lawsuit was was settled she had to take on those 
responsibilities, those legal responsibilities. So she was working a lot. She was doing a lot of a lot of random gigs, a lot of things that kind of got her typecast for a minute. Um, She was kind of stuck in this role as like a a cabaret performer. And um, she got a new manager who ended up being the difference that she needed um, in making her career come back. So uh, we could spend forever talking about the, the life that is Tina Turner. But I think Tina was touring longer than all the girls. Period. Longer than all. And then she had some of the biggest tours of all. Like this woman, when we like, okay, so just really quick, I just want to talk about like the biggest moments in her career because there was this moment in particular um, after her divorce, she was doing these residencies and, and and that wasn't yielding results, and she ends up getting this new manager. He comes in and his whole purpose he asked me he's like well what what type of artist are you trying to be like what career do you want what is it that you want to do and she said I want to be a rock and roll star like I want to make rock and roll like I want to sell out stadiums I want to do what Mick Jagger's out there doing like that's that's what I want to do she said I know I can do that this was at a time when there were no female rock stars especially there especially not black ones um there weren't there weren't any black front people doing these stadiums and and doing what she wanted to do in rock it just it didn't exist and through having I think it was Roger Davies was his name having Roger Davies as her manager he introduced her to the right people he got the right connections and they got together and based off of what they had together because this was really a, a partnership that with the two of them bringing what they had together she was able to create one of the greatest albums in the 80s like in 1985 um when she was at the grammy she won record of the year for what's love got to do with it and to put that into perspective this was the time when like i mean we're talking about prince was rising was running the charts cindy lauper was doing her thing michael jackson's thriller was out like whitney houston was was just was just revving up the engine. <laughs> like her first album, she won seven Grammys off hip-hop of. So I mean, she had no, she had seven off. consecutive ne- number ones. Hip hop's taking off. Rap is is originating. Like this is a monumental time in music, and she took over. This was the one of the biggest artists, especially during that time. Yeah. But her career, the whole span of her career, and keep in mind, she was forty years old doing this. She was not so, like, like she she kept she was touring in the two thousands. Touring in what? Come on now, like she's been touring longer than all the girls. So after you know, divorcing, that scene at the end was a real show, y'all. It was a real show, right? She was still touring in '93. Period. Like she, she literally only stopped touring early 2000s. Like she did her last show around that time. Um, yeah. So, uh, she wrote I Tina the book. Um, around the time when What's Love Got to Do With It was the, the the Private Dancer album was out. And I think what's really important to talk about with this is that she was not, it was not her idea to write a book. Mm-hmm. It was not her idea to make a movie. These are not necessarily things that she wanted to do. She was very against it because when they told her, hey, you know, we think you should write a book. And she goes, well, I don't want to write a book. I don't want to talk about this stuff. Like they keep bringing it up in interviews. I don't want to talk about it then. She was getting, like, she was falling into deep depressions because of the things that the, the the questions that she was being asked by the journalists and interviewers that were always about Ike and always about the past and always about that relationship 
um, because she did one interview for Billboard and it, 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 oh no, it was for um, People Magazine. She did one interview for People and it was where she brought up the abuse because everybody at that point, she'd been divorced from Ike for five years and people thought they were still together. Mm-hmm. So, so she's like, I got to set the record straight, but then people would not stop asking about him. Yeah. So she said, okay, she agreed with them. She's like, let's write this book I, because I want to dead the topic, essentially. I want to stop talking about it. I don't want to keep, she's like, I'm at a very happy point in my life. I don't want to keep talking about this. Writes the book. And what do y'all think happens? They keep asking the questions. So the movie comes out. They keep asking the questions. And it just had to get, it got to a point where she was like, I'm not answering this. Like, I'm happy. That's what matters. Like, at one point, Ike got arrested for a drug charge and he ended up spending some time in prison. And um, she was at an interview for, I think, Mad Max 3 in 85. And it was a movie she was in. And, um, they asked her, they're like, oh, do you have a reaction to that? She goes, a reaction to that? She goes, I would have had a, you know, I would love to react to some good news. Like maybe if you told me I got a record deal and he was releasing his first solo album, like I would have loved to react right. to that. She, but I mean, like, I, and I completely, I completely get it. Like you have this, it, it would be like repeating the ugliest chapter of your life over and over again. Every time you accomplish something new, every time you reach a new height, every time you reach a new day, someone's asking you about the darkest moments right. of your life um, that weren't public until you made it public to let people know where you were. And it was right. just like, I'm ha- having this conversation so y'all know where I am, that I'm and good, things are good, and it's <laughs> done. And y'all keep asking. So I just think, you know, and, and it's crazy because there was an interview that she had and you could tell it was just really frustrating her. Um, in the interview, they were asking about Ike and everything again. And, it, and no, actually, I'm, that was wrong. She was doing, it was a press release. It was a press junket for What's Love Got To Do With It. And they were asking her about, you know, the film and what it meant to her and how she felt and everything. And she goes, well, honestly, um, I haven't seen the film yet. And they're like, what? You haven't seen the film yet? And she was like, yeah, I haven't seen it yet. She goes, because you know, like who would really want to relive their ugliest moments over and over again? She goes, I get asked about it all the time. She goes, so like, what what would make y'all think I want to watch it? Like, I don't want to watch these brutal, brutally violent scenes because it's just going to take me back to that moment over and over and over again. And so I just think um, the amount of strength that she had to create the media that she's created ever since um, from iTina to what's love got to do with it to um, even the Tina 2021 documentary for HBO she's and she she's filmed in it that's Tina in that um they filmed it in 2019 but it to know that after all that she's been through she has remained remarkably gracious remarkably patient and she's put her best foot forward she's put her best energy forward and always her best legs forward um I think it it, it just it I'd be remiss if I didn't say that Tina Turner is an icon um really briefly since the the movie's release you know she's been pretty low-key she did do uh, a few other live performances she had other great albums come out um and i think even at one point she had a uh, they did a there was one, her biggest tour that she did had in 18 months and they did like 230 shows or something like that it was like wild like i've never heard of something that crazy like it was just crazy they were doing these crazy world tours and this woman was doing this at 50. Like, as her career continued to grow and progress, obviously she's getting older. Like, every decade she reached, 
she was like I think she was in her 60s when she and Beyonce performed when she got um when she was inducted into the Hall of Fame. So I think it's just it's crazy to look at the trajectory that had been her career because it honestly is a rise and fall and rise and just continue to rise because she did have this moment where people weren't checking for her, where people didn't want to sign her, where people didn't want to hear from her. Um, and she came back with full force, full vengeance. And now she didn't disappeared on y'all hoes. And she said, <laughs> y'all ain't never going to see me again. I'm done. Um, poof, right. Tina Turner, girl, we love you. You are an icon. Absolutely. You are an inspiration, not just for yourself musically, but as a woman. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. So that brings us, of course, to our favorite segment of the show. That is the For the Culture Spotlight. Let me tell y'all, I am so excited about the spotlight that I have for this week. Um, because I, you know, we've done a For the Culture on Jackie Ida before. We love Jackie. Yes. That's our cousin, auntie, sister, friend. And uh, yeah, you know, she doesn't do that anymore, right? Like she stopped doing it. doing it. I've been doing it. I know. Listen, I love I've been it. watching iconic. the videos for way too long. Okay, it is, right. It's it. so iconic. Um, she has stopped her Jackie Jackie. But, um, but she ain't stopped being Jackie. And so we talked about her brand before, Forever Mood. And it's a, it's a candle brand and um, amazing fragrances. And it's been doing really well. I know her first collection of it like sold out. And so um, she's been restocking and she's been doing well. Well, she's been doing so well. Supply is so high that you can now find Forever Mood in Sephora. I think that is so exciting. Right? <laughs> Iconic. I mean, Jackie Ina is up there now with the Rihannas, with the Pat McGraths, and having our businesses highlighted and spotlighted in this space. And, you know, I have to be very specific because it's not, the celebration is not the fact that, ooh, Jackie, a Black business, then made it into this white store. That's not what we're celebrating. That's not what it's about. But what I'm excited about is that they've had no choice but to recognize the value in her product. They have no choice but to recognize and want to be like, we got to sell this in our places, in our locations, on our website, because if we're not like people, are, we're going to be losing traffic. People are looking for this. People are wanting this. And she's got her finger on the pulse. And she's one of those people who is not just an influencer, but she's someone who makes such a uh, has such a positive influence on the community as a creator, as a creative. Um, and so this is a, a big congrats to Auntie Cousin Sister Jackie yeah. um, for doing the thing, doing the damn things of the things. Forever Mood is now available at Sephora. Now, before we send y'all over to the Sephora's, I am going to let you know that the candle is about $40. Don't let that discourage you from supporting our sister because these are high quality. Um, They smell amazing. Um, And from what I've heard, uh, you know, mine, got mine in the cart. We're going to be placing that order. Um, But from what I've heard, the, the fragrance is powerful enough that you don't even have to light the candle for it to fill the room. So I, I love that in a candle. My aunt, um, Aunt Vicky, who is my first shout out on episode mm-hmm. one, her candles are that powerful too. So I, I love that in a candle. candle. Yes, I love a good candle. But what I also love about her candles are, are the names. Like these are very millennial names. Mm-hmm. Like, and so I, I, I love it. Cause I know there's one like called Caked Up and um, there's like a grown folks business candle. I just love it. I love that she's got um, 
that she's been doing well and that she's seeing success because we, I just love to see it in our, in our beautiful melanated brothers and sisters. Um, I do also have one other for the culture person I want to shout out because I've been following this person for a little while. And it just so happened that when I started following this person on Twitter, they ended up having a major life moment happen a few months later. And so it's the artist. I, I literally saw this guy go from having, from having no check to having a check in a matter of months. Um, it's an artist by the name of Amorphous. And he is a, a DJ producer. He received a lot of success and fame and people started to recognize him and give him, you know, praise because he was creating these really cool mashups um, with like Rihanna and like Earth, Wind and Fire or something. He was doing really cool things like that and, and really blending new school with old school. And so because of that, he ended up getting signed. He ended up, um, he's working on this album. And last week on might have been James Corden or Jimmy Kimmel or Jimmy Fallon, one of them white guys that night. Um, <laughs> he re- he released one of his songs and he was featured as the artist on the yes, show. And the artist who was singing for him, because again, he's a producer, he's a he's a DJ producer type, was Kelly Rowland, and she ate it. Come on, Kelly. he ate all of it. He had a song come out with Kalani, um, yes. and he's working on a song with Brandy and James Conteroy. So I'm really. Yes. So this is a young black artist um, who is making moves. He's very young. I'm really excited just to see where his career goes because I love his sound. He's got such a unique sound. Um, and he, I think I just see him being very relevant in the near future. So um, I'm shouting out Amorphous. I'm shouting out Jackie Ina. Um, yes. Congrats to both of y'all. Do the damn thing. You good? Okay. So yes, um, we just want to thank you guys so much for tuning in to another episode of the 51 Chronicles. Um, as always, we have to let you know, like we let you know on Tuesday, we love you. We thank you for your support. And as always, we look forward to seeing you on a new episode. We're going to see you this <laughs> Thursday um, for a day full of topics. And I'm really excited. I've got an announcement something I've been waiting to announce and I can finally announce. I'm going to be announcing this Thursday. So we'll see you guys on our next episode this Thursday for a Thursday full of topics. Again, we love you. We're wishing better for you. We're manifesting great things for you. Good news is knocking on that door. Yeah, they're coming. (laughs) (laughs) And we will see you Thursday here at the 50 Limb Chronicles. Peace. The Nutbush City Limits.